War has changed. <coughs> David! David, are you alright in that? Take a, take a, have you taken a lozenge or something? You, you didn't need to come in, it's fine. No, oh, no, I'm okay. Alright, I mean. Oh, God. We can, we can take it again. Uh, if this is too much for you, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just try your best. We'll, we want to get this done. David, that's not, that was worse. That was, are you sure you're okay? We can get someone else. You don't, he's well, older. Fine. He's older. It's fine. You don't need to force yourself to do this. Who are you going to replace me with? I, I don't know. Alright, one more time. Welcome to Abnormal Mapping 46, the fourth in our Metal Gear side series of podcasts. Today, I have Austin Howe with me to talk about Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots. We don't have spoilers for 5, only everything before that. Uh, so if you haven't played 5, you're safe, you can listen. Please enjoy. I'm going to go away now because my voice really hurts after that after that bit. And I hope, I hope you enjoy. something because i'm recording ahead so i don't know again professional podcasting this is our second take it's the fourth of our metal gear episodes going through the series with people who have different perspectives on it today i have austin Howe with me to talk about medical solid 4 guns of the patriots hi everybody how you hey, doing hey hi hi austin uh, i guess we can just get into it then just straight off the bat let's go with the video game that we're here to discuss Okie doke. Okie doke. Um, Where are we starting? Where are we starting? That's a good, that's a good question. Because we've got a lot of video game to talk about here. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 4 is simultaneously the most dense, but also kind of the least dense video game. Because, it, it's, I don't know, it's just a thing that can't possibly stand alone. Everything is a reference to something else. Mm-hmm. And I, had a, I had a conversation with... Uh, 
I had a conversation with the great James Howell once, and yes. uh, we both agreed that Metal Gear Solid 4 is one of the closest things that's ever come to pure meta text. And we actually had arguments, uh, like many, like not, you know, heated discussions, but you know, like we had like little debates and I would say like, I'm pretty sure there's not a single moment in metal gear solid four that cannot be referenced somewhere else in the series. And I come up with an example of like, Oh wait, that's not a reference. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's a reference. Like every single thing in metal gear solid, like you can come into it and play it as just, you know, a regular standalone video game if you want to try and do that. But like, the the foreknowledge of the previous three, well, the previous five games just makes you realize how much everything in that game is just calling back to something else that already existed in the series prior. Uh, the series prior and also things around it. I feel like a lot of that game... Uh, and it's it, historical context, yes. Yeah, because uh, it starts out, we begin with Solid Snake arriving in unnamed Middle Eastern country to go shoot some people very much was the in thing in video games at the time the first trailer mm. uh i think it was the first trailer was a fake fps yeah it was like presented the... as a fake sps yeah. yeah so it's very clear commentary on this is where games are going but w- this is uh, this series is a relic of older traditions and how does, how do we fit in what is our f- place here what do we have to say and then eva comes out later and then they use footage from that trailer to talk about how uh, the you know like PMCs will use those kind of games. Not necessarily. I'm not sure if propaganda is the nice the the right word, but like you know, like those kinds of video games are kind of it, it accuses those kinds of video games as psychologically being kind of like propaganda tools, um, which is a noteworthy comment given that at around or I think slightly earlier or slightly after there was the America's Army game that came out, which was literally a first person shooter developed by the United States Army. It was it was definitely slightly earlier. I think there were multiple of them. It was a PC series for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, which people like liked because it was so it was like super intense realistic war game. Yeah, I heard it was like actually I, I, I to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of interested in it because if it's as intense a simulation as it says it is, then yeah, I I kind of want to play that. Like, I think the armor series has some roots in that scene. I actually don't know. I don't know enough about that, but I know that that was a thing for a while about 2005 2006. Uh But yeah, I don't know how much I would say it is pure meta text. I have a very specific read on its meta text. Um that we'll get into as we as we go but i guess i'll just give a summary in case melga sort of you haven't played it because i feel like this is the game of the series that the least people have played uh i know a lot of many people who have played one two three and then have now played five or one of the revengeance or something but haven't seen four which probably owes to its uh, ps3 exclusivity in a time when not everyone i have a PS3. theory about this what's your theory because i've noticed that trend as well i think metal gear solid 4 was the one that by that point in the series, it was like, you bought this if you were a Metal Gear fan. Because yes. Metal Gear Solid 1 was like a PlayStation selling game. Metal Gear Solid 2 was like one of the first major PS2 releases of any kind. And it was a sequel to like Metal Gear Solid 1, which had that kind of... It, it was a game from 1998, so everyone loved it. And mm-hmm. you know, and then Metal Gear Solid 3 was like one of those games that came out in that really hot period of AAA between 2004 and 2005. And like, it had lots of crossover appeal to even people who weren't Metal Gear fans because it was just a really well-designed action game. Metal Gear Solid 4 just has the Metal Gear pedigree, and you bought it if you were a Metal Gear fan, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I remember the narrative around it at the time being... 
Uh, this sews up all the loose ends, every single cliffhanger of this uh, incredibly dense series. Oh yeah, and it's like it's it's for the fans, you know. I mean, uh, that's that's a weird phrase to use, <laughs> it's but it's weird literally phrase to like use in the context of this game. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a game that is specifically developed for the people who are most devoted to this series because it's made up from all of this iconography and it is solely dedicated to tying up all of these various plot lines. Well, that's the strange thing, in that when I played three. I saw the end of three and was like, oh, that's fairly tightly closed. There's n- what could they possibly do for four? I assumed there'd be way many, uh, way more loose ends uh, hanging going into four because uh, actually it turns out the plot of four has very little to do with previous games despite being, I mean, like on, on face, on surface value, but when you go into it, uh, the, it, has, it begins with the brand new concept of the war economy. Um and you start with obviously Snake going into unnamed Middle Eastern country to assassinate Liquid Snake, or Liquid mm-hmm. Ocelot at this point, I guess, because uh, that happened, <laughs> <laughs> or and or didn't. I don't know. Metal Gear, and the the game is uh, separated into five acts, which is a first for the series because it's structured. It is the first Metal Gear game to move away from what I consider to be the core of Metal Gear's structure of the greater agency and understanding understanding of a single space yeah the self-contained space mm-hmm. and it, it, it also in in addition to that adds in Drevin, who is uh, a person within the war economy who you can buy guns from and suddenly being aware of your space isn't as important as just having money uh and with the war economy stuff and especially with five and peace walker this becomes a very explicit fuck capitalism critique of the series mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i guess we'll just go very basic like what where where do, where do we begin where do we actually begin with the discussion we can begin anywhere uh but i don't actually know where to probably start i guess we i mean maybe we could go over a plot summary of the game but that's kind of a herculean <laughs> yeah, that's task kind of a herculean task and i feel like if you're listening you've probably played it uh or at yeah. least know of the plot yeah and i mean if you're listening to a long podcast series, i mean it's you know it's like if you're listening to the fourth and a long podcast series about the metal gear games you're probably just already somebody who cares about metal gear in the first place so you probably know the plot of metal gear solid four so i guess and i think just... it goes without saying uh mm-hmm. i'll say it for myself if you haven't played metal gear solid four go fucking play it already yep. uh, like <laughs> just you know do that first and then come back i guess uh, we'll just start with a broad question of what do you like do you think of metal gear solid four like what do you do you, do you think it's a good video game Metal Gear Solid 4 is one of my absolute favorite video games ever made. Okay. Um, For a period of time, I regarded it as probably the best action game ever made. That's Mm. not something I... I don't think it's necessarily the top one anymore. But aside from having some of the most meaningful narrative, some of the best soundtrack compositions, some of the best designed levels, some of the best designed interactions between the player and the environment, between the player and the enemies... Uh, just uh, even before I had like a really deep critical understanding of its meta text and its subtext, it was just a top to bottom excellent entertaining video game. Mm-hmm. And then it has all these layers beneath it that come from an appreciation of that meta text that tell you, aside from the critique of capitalism and all that sort of stuff that I think is apparent on the surface, then there's all that stuff beneath it that says that is all this commentary on Metal Gear itself. And so it's one of those games that has just layers upon layers upon layers. And it's not just that you can play it 
a billion times and get something new out of every new cutscene. Like you can play the le- like the levels are so dense that you can approach them in in billions of different ways. Every single time I play Metal Gear Solid Four, I go through the level in a different way, and I don't think I've particularly found every single nook and cranny, every little hole that you can crawl through, every little virgin path that you can go through, especially in the first three acts, the first, the prologue, Act One and Act Two specifically. You know, because they just have these brilliant, brilliantly designed levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I I adore Metal Gear. So, oh, and the boss fights are just absolutely excellent. And you know, the 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 Metal Gear the Metal Gear Rex versus Metal Gear Ray boss fight is absolutely excellent. They nail the feel of being inside Metal Gear Rex in a way that I thought they would absolutely flop on, and they just. <sighs> and, and then and then of course there's the there's the fighting game sequence at the end there, which is such a great narrative resolution to the entire Metal Gear Solid sub-series, so to speak, and just, it's excellent. It's just, oh, and it's one of the best-looking video games I've ever seen. It's a great convergence of art style, technical limitation, and technical execution. Mm -hmm. I still think it's the best-looking, it's still probably the best-looking game on the PS4. Um, PS3. PS3, sorry, yeah, I meant to say PS3. Yep. It's it's still probably the best-looking game on the PS3, and I'd still say it's probably the best-looking game I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I disagree with a lot of that, but that's, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's 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 very little about Metal Gear Solid 4 that I don't like. <laughs> okay, well, I guess, let's, yeah, uh, for, I'll, I'll lay out what I think then. Okay, um, I had a strong, because Metal Gear Solid 4 was the Metal Gear game I knew the most about going in. Uh, like, I knew, okay, so... <laughs> I know war economy. I know a big boss shows up. Uh, I know a, a microwave corridor crawl. Uh, I know who dies. I know who lives. I know gunshot, but actually not. And then big boss comes out and dies. And guy in a wheelchair gets strangled. Don't know what that means. I don't know. Um, but so I had a lot of expectation going in, but it ended up being very different to all the things that I had heard because. Metal Gear Without Context, especially explained by uh, when your only exposure to the series is of the time video game mainstream criticism, I think there's mm-hmm. no way to get a less understanding of what Metal Gear actually is yep. than reading like what IGN thought of Metal Gear Solid 4 <laughs> uh, and having that be your understanding. Uh, and I thought uh, uh, for the first two acts is this fantastically playing a game that really opens up what Metal Gear means as a way of movement and uh, combat and environmental exploration. Uh, it focuses it... It feels far more artificial because you're looking through this this uh, solid eye, you're being rewarded for every death and every murder and stealing these weapons, so your relationship to the battlefield is far more predatory, even though you were always... Uh, an external force that had more agency than everyone within it uh, that is heightened in Metal Gear Solid 4 and the feeling of Snake being just this amoral assassin is played up narratively and played up within the the play constantly but Mm. uh, I I was unsatisfied the first time with the ending um, because I thought like originally I thought the ending of Metal Gear Solid 4 was like the biggest thematic betrayal or I should say the start of the ending, I thought that the ending is about two hours long. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the thing I was most interested going into for was the stuff that was carried over from two, which is um, what the Patriots symbolize as a 
metaphor for capitalism and as a metaphor for society in America viewed through this other lens. And Thor spends so much time, like so much time, building up this idea of how uh, we have built this society based on all these horrible systems, all these horrible things, and we cannot remove the... We cannot purify the system and like purify our society without... Re- like without losing what we've gained from it like turning off the system would ruin all the people who are currently connected to it there's no way to free ourselves from this idea and then the ending to that is uh sunny just magically figures out how to separate the good things from the bad things and turns it off and i don't think i'd ever been as angry at a resolution (laughs) in the moment as when that happened um i will say that um let me put the mic closer to my face i will say that I do think that Metal Gear Solid 4 is when Kojima was reaching like peak frustration in his own understanding of his own politics because there's this fierce like there's this fierce anti-capitalism and also this kind of fierce uh luddite streak in in Metal Gear Solid especially just this uh, absolute uh, foreboding about the advancement of technology because as is said multiple times throughout the series the advancement of technology is always the advancement of war technology and you can't have one without the other um uh, and Kojima is such a radical pacifist that he just he can't you know he can't accept one with the other um but, you know it's mm-hmm. it's just it's just unconscionable to him and so i think that i think that element of the ending where the two elements are separated from each other is is kind of a is 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 almost an admittance on his part that he doesn't know how to resolve that mm-hmm. that conflict in his brain once i like, sat away from it it like thematically works because the metal gear series has always had this this is impossible to solve but we are moving closer towards it like the end monologue of metal gear solid 2 which has been a game basically entirely about the ways technology can harm society uh, ends with this monologue about how important it is to actually keep this technology around because it has these all these uh, really positive things that we can't afford to lose. And uh, uh, because so much of Metal Gear Solid is about uh, passing good things on to the next generation, the idea that, oh, of course Snake and Otacons can't solve it, but the person that their beliefs and uh, their attempts kind of shaped the next generation was able to solve it like works thematically but in the moment it definitely feels like a cop out uh, but it's also not the real ending which comes way later into the actual ending of the game which is the conversation in the graveyard uh, there's also like the whole um, every ending in the Metal Gear series well I haven't played 5 yet but uh, 1, 2, 3 and 4 all have the thing of like we solved a problem and we solved a big problem but we made some other problem significantly worse and mm-hmm. like this is a thing that people have noticed about Metal Gear Solid 2 is that like is that essentially you're acting I mean even when you learn about the Patriots you are completely powerless to rebel against that power system within the confines of Metal Gear Solid 2 I think you the know? thing and the... you have to completely serve out their interests to do yeah. what needs to be done to prevent a nuking of New York yeah you know I think the thing that was uh, that I said to describe Metal Gear Solid 2's ending last time, I think it was, was it's strange because it's the only Metal Gear game in which the villains irrefutably win, like, in every single way. And it's also the only Metal Gear game who has whose ending I would describe as actually happy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, that says a lot about the series and how it uh, tackles its themes. Because... Metal Gear Solid 4, on the surface, is a very, very happy ending, but it's easily the most hard-hitting, sad ending of the actual franchise. Uh, this is good. And 
Yeah. But I guess we can just go element by element before we get to the the final ending stuff. So you said that you really like the bosses. Yes. I want to talk about that stuff because I have opinions about the Beauty and the Beast core. For the record, I did mean to say that I I think that the Beauty and the Beast core is, is, like as a narrative concept, is kind of one of the laziest executions in Metal Gear of Metatext. In mm-hmm. terms of being like, we literally just slap names together. But at the same time, a lot of Metal Gear Solid 4 feels like Kojima just slapping you in the face and saying, don't you get it yet? You know, like, you know, because it's just clearly the guy has been trying to say something all this time that so many people have not been getting. Despite the fact that, like, he even went so far as to, like, highlight James Howell's work on, like, his own websites and things like that and say, like, this guy gets it. Listen to him, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. Um you know, so the Beauty and the Beast core as a concept is definitely one of the lazier things. And also the Beauty and Beast core characters don't end up being as fleshed out or as interesting as their as as their counterparts in Foxhound or in uh Dead Cell or in or even in the Beauty and the Beast unit or, or even in uh, uh the Cobra unit. Um that said, I really liked actually fighting all of the bosses. I felt like in terms of the game design element of that, that it combined all of those elements of the game design of those bosses really well. Especially um, the crying... Was it Crying Wolf? The, the sniper fight. In- yeah, cry, uh, cr- uh, the, 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 the sniper fight with Crying Wolf was is, 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 to me, the best boss fight in the entire series. And it's one of my favorite encounters in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that might be my favorite part of the entire game. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, I My... Uh, relationship to those boss fights is more complicated because i think the addition of just hey have these uh, just um fodder running around uh and putting them in far larger areas reduces the feel of this one-on-one confrontation that has been key to the feeling of a metal gear boss fight before this um and so it also in doing that in putting a bunch of just enemies around you uh that you have to deal with while taking out this boss it forces the characters of the Beauty and the Beast Corps to the sidelines in a way that, like I say, even the Cobra unit, who were basically just broad strokes thematic things to yep. deepen the relationship between uh, the boss and Naked Snake, because that's really the only relationship that matters in that game. Well, maybe either, but I've I've not really seen a game built around a single relationship as much as that one is. Uh, and and this, they just like they don't have a character to their own, like of their own, which is a shame because it formally recalls one of my favorite things about Metal Gear that had been lost in the last two games, which is the boss dies and then you are given their backstory. You are given the like tra- that this enemy who you had to kill suddenly becomes a human being. Even Psychomantis, who is a, Inex- like not explicitly, but um, irrefutably indefensible. Yeah, irrefutably, the just a monster, and he admits this is still given this moment of pathos in this moment where you acknowledge his humanity as he dies. But here they just have Drebin explain these uh, women to you, and all of their backstories are uh, invoking just awful sexual violence in order to make the point that war is bad, which is a thing Kojima does. Uh, increasingly as the series goes series goes on or i guess the, the series does i don't want to even though a lot of my read of this game is very uh directed as kojima as auteur because i don't think you can read this game and have it make sense without that i kind of want to de- also make a point to de-emphasize that when i'm talking about it because it's it's a big thing it's a big thing uh 
Um, one of the big things I would say, yeah, is that it's weird that the thing about it is that is that as a result of what Metal Gear Solid Four is and what it's trying to be, like the thing is, is that the things that don't work about it are on purpose a lot of the time, and and I feel like, uh, like like for example, the Beauty and the Beast core, they don't they don't feel like complete characters because they don't talk to us. And we have their backstories explained by a separate character, and they just feel like slapped together things from other stuff that's existed in the series. But that's the point, right? They're just structure. Because the only thing... They're literally just structure that's just there to be there, because structure that's just there to be there is like the thematic centerpiece of the entire game. Like, literally, Snake is just there to be there. There's no reason for him to be alive at this point. There's no reason for Liquid to be alive at this point. You know, in terms of like the metacommentary... In terms of what the game is trying to say as a metacommentary, because the flow of the game's narrative is just a slow elimination of all of of these characters that are still alive from these previous games who are literally just like a a tumor on the world. Oh, sure. But uh, I think in all the other characters, it still makes that point without completely disregarding their humanity in the context of a surface-level text. Oh, yeah. uh, Thematically, they're saying the same things as all the other elements of the game, but they still... (laughs) Like if there's a reason in that, I know that in the novel of the game that they're just cut and cut completely because they're just repeating themes. There's a novel. Do you? Oh, do you not know about Metal Gear Solid Four, uh, the Guns of the Patriots novel? I did not know that there was a novel. It's written from Otacon's perspective. Uh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> um, I've I've not read it. I've read like the start of it. It's probably not very good, but it's probably entirely not. like there was a man called Snake. He was my friend. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the exact line. And we had the most awesome gay sex all the time. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, I've been talking to people with on reads on Metal Gear and sexuality. Uh, generally, I, I saw... I don't... The, for, I've, I really... I, that was just a joke. Oh, no, I, I know. Really, I know, yeah. I know. But I wanted to transit onto that, onto how mm-hmm. I um, often read uh, uh, Solid Snake as asexual. I think he really is. Um I think there's lots of homoeroticism throughout the series, but Suddenly. Solid Snake is like the least gay character. He's he just like every single sexual action he makes is the most performative thing ever. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like every relationship he has with everyone falls apart. And they go into detail about that with Meryl in this game. It's yeah. just kind of like they, they talk about it and they say, you literally just like left one day. I guess he clearly good... wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. You know? I guess it's a good point to pivot to Meryl. Because uh, I think Meryl's character is very interesting um, in the way that they basically take what was a very poor character in Metal Gear Solid 1 that existed only to shape uh, Snake's characterization further, and the way that they take her in 4 is very interesting and one of the best surprise character journeys that I think the series does in the her whole arc in 4 is she's not cut out to be a soldier, she's not actually cut out to do this, but then by um by this game no she is and snake's the one who can't actually handle how the world is anymore uh and that inversion is incredibly nice you know what i well, a thing I, this brings up one of the reads of the game that's become more prominent with me as i've played the game more recently um i think one of the big things they're also doing with meryl as well is like they have meryl and they have her team rat patrol right and they yeah. have all these severely underdeveloped characters that hang around her um and there's her, and there's also Raiden. And granted, Raiden being the ninja is kind of doing another like performative meta text thing, just like 
Marilyn Rap Patrol is. But the other thing is that they constantly do these scenes that highlight just how fucking cool those two groups of characters are like how cool Raiden is as the ninja and how cool Meryl is as the commander of Rat Patrol and how cool Rat Patrol is as a unit and oh wow Johnny's really funny with them and like boy don't you wish you were playing a video game about Rat Patrol right now like uh, that's the thing that's the, that the, that's the thing is I feel like the that the, that's one of those little substructures that they develop inside the game to to communicate like the pointlessness of solid snakes continued existence because it's literally like his stories are just kind of like existing as this gigantic weight on top of these all of these other characters who should be doing their own shit well i think that's uh, especially in raiden's case and yeah because revenge i i didn't really think about this at all until revengeance came out because then when i played revengeance i was just like wait a minute this makes a lot of sense (laughs) well in i i actually think raiden specifically is portrayed incredibly pathetically uh in this game but Going back to Raptroll, they are like snow to me from Final Fantasy Thirteen. In the they are what Japan thinks the West wants, but also taking the piss of what the West wants. Like big, goofy, burly action heroes um, from a Western video game. This is what Kojima or like Kojima's team sees them as, um, and they're they're mostly idiots. They're ineffectual. They can't get anything done. Uh, Meryl is often uh is is not presented in the way that her team is she is actually the most competent one of the most competent people in the game i like how uh despite clearly being on the wrong side of a lot of choices she is given the like the agency to stay there and her reasons are always given weight because uh, they have that long conversation when he gets to eastern europe about how he's just this old man who refuses to accept that the world has changed and she's just like she doesn't need to like it but she's going to go with it she's not going to pretend she's living in a different world and I like how that emphasizes that. Yeah, they give Meryl a lot of autonomy in this game, mm-hmm. which is which is very very appreciated. Uh, and the way Meryl compares to Raiden, I think, is interesting because but so both Meryl and Raiden are characters that in their initial games were set up to show how you don't want to be Solid Snake and come back in this game having imitated Solid Snake as much as possible, but. Meryl is presented as doing that in a healthy manner that actually rejects a lot of the bullshit that Solid Snake put on her, whereas Raiden is projected as doing it in the least healthy manner possible. <laughs> but he does still, like, kick a shit ton of ass. Like, he just, he just destroys shit yeah. by himself. Yeah, that's but... that's mostly what I mean is that they constantly like you're completely right. I mean, like they wouldn't have any like you can't just have a character in Metal Gear that's cool. Like that doesn't just happen. You know, like typically if there's a character in Metal Gear you're supposed to like, you're also supposed to hate them for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and if you're supposed to hate a character in Metal Gear, you're also supposed to find some sort of sympathy in them because every character in Metal Gear has that kind of fifty fifty booking thing going on. Um, <laughs> Time to wrestling terms, wrestling jokes. Uh, <laughs> There's probably a lot of comparisons that can be made to wrestling in Metal Gear. I'm trying to think if they do any fucking like wrestling holds or anything in the final fight, and I don't think that they do. Um, probably I think, not. I think I don't. I don't. I don't even think that fucking. I don't think that any CQC has like any fucking. Yeah, no, not I'm even CQC has any wrestling. No moves. one in the WWE has walked in and claimed to be doing CQC. What close quarters combat, which is literally just like. No, I but think it's just a... has been saying that as a thing, as like their character's gimmick. Because everyone in the WWE is a nerd now. So someone That is true. Someone's gonna want to do that one day. 
Anyway. Just for the record, you know that John Cena is a huge anime fan, right? Yes. He really loves Fist of the North Star. <sighs> this is the best news I've had all day. <laughs> I think that's a perfect, uh, just quick diversion. I think Fist of the North Star is the perfect John Cena anime because it's like really excellent but also really over uh really excellent and really misunderstood like, <laughs> does the main character ever give up no okay good done don't Stamp think, of don't, approval. don't don't I'm pretty sure that kenshiro never gives up <laughs> he also is superhumanly strong can so. he do a, a chokehold though i don't know uh, what can he do like a, can he do like an stf okay we're getting off okay <laughs> yeah um you're leaving all of this in. Oh, of course. Well, yeah, Raiden. Uh, yeah, Ra- Raiden's cool because obviously it's a response to how everyone hated him in uh, mm-hmm. 2. But but beneath all of that, there's like this tragedy and all that. But even that level of tragedy and, and there, even that even those flaws in his characters are meant to make him an appealing and interesting character. Uh, <laughs> you know, or not, not to make an appealing character, but to make him like interesting in ways that kind of make you wish that the game was about him. You know, uh, I don't know if I agree about that. Uh, they make me wish he was not being an idiot. Like the way he's introduced. Um, so you have uh, it's a long lead up to when Raiden actually shows up, right? Um, you have your first revealed that Raiden and Rose split up, and then it's revealed that Rose is with like a, a Campbell, and you're like, what? Excuse that's me. That's got to be for the record. I want to say that that's the weirdest plot twist in the whole game. <laughs> Uh, yep yep i was very confused. and of course it's like it's the stupidest one and it's the one they immediately go back on like no of course she's not with fucking campbell but like you know but i, I the end of the ride and storyline is also something i hate in manga solid 4 uh because i mean we'll get to that but because they spent right. so much of the game criticizing like he is presented as why couldn't he just let go of the things like he was given a catharsis by the end of two and threw those dog tags away and was free to set up this life and uh, like th- uh, fourth thematically does a lot he is presented as actually incapable to survive without the harmful systems that he was holding on to before mm-hmm. um, and that that's a thing that echoes throughout uh guns of the patriots and um yeah he, yeah he's cool but what like what i remember when i think of Raiden is i think of like scenes in the uh in the plane where he's just on the floor spitting blood going hell i'll help you snake and snakes like go away <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome just like it just how fucking like just you know hurt me more i mean he doesn't actually do that bit but he just fucking yeah he just he he just like tolerates just endless amounts of physical abuse and of course it's it's this weird thing where it's like of course he can just cut off his own arm because it's just a cyborg arm right you know <laughs> not again like, that's the weird thing it's like it's not even his own body so who cares if he even has an arm it's just physically hurts for him to cut it off because he has because he does have pain receptors but um <laughs> is that in this game or is that in the next game i don't think he has i don't <laughs> think he has pain receptors in this game but, he has uh, to leave the pain receptors on yeah he doesn't uh no, that's the thing is that in, if if I'm not mistaken, in Rising they're off for most of the game, and then he says no, they're, or rather he had their pain inhibitors. In yeah. Rising they're on most of the game, and then he says, "Doctor, turn off my pain inhibitors." Yep, it's like the you know all the really dumb moments in the TNG movies when Data turns <laughs> off his emotion chip. That's... Oh, God, let's not even talk about the Data emotion right now. <laughs> It's the worst That's, thing. It's, God, every every single episode where Data gets emotions is the worst. 
He, no, it only happens in the movies. He never actually puts in that chip because they it would ruin his character. And then they're like, let's ruin There's his like character. There's like a spare episode or two where they do it, where he puts in the emotion chip. But it's literally like one or two. And then it always comes back to, they got to go back to the status quo. So he takes it out, you know? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's a good tangent fucking... because fuck that. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, let's keep talking about Metal Gear Solid. We were talking so about Raiden. About Raiden, yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we covered a lot of Raiden stuff. Um, I think... <laughs> uh, okay, Ro- here's here's a question I wanted to ask. You said that you hated the ending to his arc. What what was it about that, that you didn't find very satisfying? Raiden's arc to me is all about um, the what happened... It was a lot of what I thought of what the game was about, which is what happens when you have gone too far. What happens when you have reached the point where fixing the problem is actually not fixing the problem. Like, uh, the society is portrayed as... SOP has been so ingrained in what um, the world state of the world is that removing it wouldn't actually fix the problem and would actually make a lot of stuff worse. Uh, similarly, Raiden has lost his family. Raiden has rejected the catharsis that he had and he cannot get it back. That is the core of his arc. And then the end is just, all right, you're back. You're human again. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um it's- I think I think yeah. Howell shares this interpretation with me, and I think, uh, and I don't say that to lend it more legitimacy. I'm just pointing it out. Um, but uh, I think he and I both view a lot of the things that happen in this game as being kind of like he's going through the same thing again, mm-hmm. you know. And it's kind of it is like a cyclical thing because the thing about it is the snake always goes through a cyclical thing, right? Like he has this thing and he says you know what maybe i shouldn't do this anymore and then he goes right back to doing it mm-hmm. happens at the end of metal gear one happens at the end of well really happens at the end of metal gear two then it happens at the end of metal gear solid kind of doesn't happen in metal gear solid two because the last thing we see of him before he gets back to new york is is chasing off uh liquid mm-hmm. um and that sort of thing but uh y- you know so so raiden doing this thing in mgs4 is just he's just reiterating his character arc from mgs2 where it's just like okay well i'm pretending to be somebody i'm not and then you know, and then as as they go over the course of the game, he kind of figures out that that's not viable, and that he needs to like be who he is. Mm-hmm. Which it's more emphasized in this game that he's not a super soldier; he's a husband and a father. Yeah, you know? uh, and metatextually, I get why Raiden is completely let off the hook for every bad decision he makes in this game. Because um, to me, the ending is about uh, th- like all. If Metal Gear Solid Two is a lot of um, and a lot of Raiden's arc in this game is pointing fingers at the audience and implicating them in things that have gone wrong. The actual thematic core of Metal Gear Solid 4 in the ending is the author taking responsibility for everything that has gone wrong with his work. Uh, hmm. That is how I read uh, the final events. So it makes sense that it's like, no, the world is saved, Snake is saved, Raiden is fine, I, I wrote this whole thing, it's me who should take the fall. Um, the other thing being... Um... Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, shit, I had a really good thought. Is it about Raiden? It was about Raiden. Hold on, give me a second. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Okay, what was your last point that you just said? Do you remember at this point? Um, oh, I was just saying how uh, I get the the end of the game. Uh, the, how I get the the arcs that end in this frustrating way makes sense with uh, how the game finally concludes. Yeah. Uh, which it's the author we're taking responsibility for. Yeah. Work. What is yeah. so? What is your? I guess we can just get to that part of, mm-hmm. of it. What is your reading on the, like, if this is the big end of the game, the big end of the series? What do you think Metal Gear Solid Four is trying to say? Um. Hmm. That's a loaded question. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly loaded question. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. 
no no you're no but it's it's a question worth asking um metal gear solid's fours and this is the problem with like the thing that makes metal gear solid 4 awesome and also the thing that makes metal gear solid 4 totally inaccessible is that the ending of metal gear solid 4 communicates kind of the pointlessness of metal gear solid 4 Mm -hmm. and the entire game is about how it should not exist yeah it's an extremely narcissistic video game um like self-obsessed to the point of like you know and it's it's literally it's 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 about as close as any video game has ever come to just being a locked in the fetal position in the corner of a room for about 12 hours Mm -hmm. you know um but there is lots of pathos that you get out of it um hmm that is an extremely tough one yeah i mean it it doesn't necessarily have to have a single core thing because it's such a a massive bloated video game for that... one thing metal gear solid 4 as just a direct narrative theme as like this story is about this not even involving any necessarily any meta text or whatever metal gear solid 4 is about the inevitability of death yeah um in the way that a lot of stuff that i like is mm-hmm. and uh uh or at least in 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 the I, t- I tend to read that interpretation onto a lot of things but i think it's especially valid in the case of mgs4 oh suddenly uh, um and mgs4 is about the inevitability of death and the need for dying things to accept the end mm-hmm. um and this is something that it shares in common with near which came out a, uh, only two years later and yeah. had the similar kind of postmodern frustrations and that sort of thing yeah um these are care excuse me these are characters who are desperately clinging on to life that they have no reason to live mm-hmm. um and even the characters who don't die go through that. Like Meryl goes through that. Raiden goes through that. And they like, they're living these lives. They don't need to be living because they're living out somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And what the ending of MGS four does by breaking down the structure of metal gear to its most basic components and then erasing them, you know, going back, not just to one, but to zero as, as uh, big boss puts it, is uh is it gets rid of their responsibility to lead those lives so those so those characters kind of die in retrospect because their arcs are no longer being played out by other people um and i think the thing is is that it could have been extremely bitter and extremely cynical but instead the particular the ending that the game goes with is just okay i am going to die and then he just and then snake just retires to a cabin somewhere in the woods with Otacon and Otacon decides to write a book about it you know <laughs> yeah so so the thing about it is is just kind of and it and it also feels like uh which of course is which of course is its own meta text because it's just kind of Kojima saying look I want to be done with this you know mm-hmm. um and I've been wanting to be done with this forever um Howell notes uh that uh, so much uh, a cancer is a is a theme that runs throughout the game there's the whole emphasis on snakes smoking um and the like the loading screens in between in between the acts reminding you that smoking is hazardous to your health and can cause cancer there's naomi's literal cancer that kills her the instant she uh the instant that she kind of accepts it mm-hmm. um and there's just all of these characters who, who like I've like I've said before, act as tumors onto everybody else's lives. Like Snake is a tumor; he's a, like a, a a malignant presence in other people's lives. 
um you know who who really only like who the existence of him and the existence of the conflicts that he lives out only makes other people's lives worse including everybody on the planet um yeah god it's it's really hard to unpack metal gear solid 4's ending into a single coherent statement but it is definitely about the inevitability of death and it is also a metatextual and it is also a metatextual statement about the death of metal gear Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which makes it about the most appropriate ending to a series of narratives <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I would compare it to uh, The Wind Rises, which is uh, Miyazaki. Haven't seen film. it. It's fantastic, but that that also to me is a film about uh, someone taking a look and like taking stead of the things they've made. Like it's about the film's about uh, a painter. Uh, not a painter a scientist no why did i say painter he's a scientist who wants to make planes oh planter that's so my brain yep good good job i have the worst brain um but yeah there's this this, this uh, scientist who makes planes and the only way to make planes is to use them for warfare and the things that he creates can only be used to harm and he could actually does not have control he can't make something and decide it can be used for good and mm-hmm. it's a, it's like looking at that and what that means as an artist um and obviously there's a lot of similarity there with metal gear uh but to me like when big boss comes out and just says uh this is well not only this is my fault but also all these other characters died specifically to bring me back which is why i have to actually go away now um, mm-hmm. because he's the one yeah he's like i am this started with he's us he's one and 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 tom is zero mm-hmm. you know yeah mm-hmm. and I've I've never really felt a final monologue come be so much of like this is just the person writing this stepping through the screen through the screen and going, uh, this is all the mistake. This is I had an I like I had this theme I had this thing I wanted to convey and every time I end up rewriting it it ends up being twisted and the fans want something else and it, the things I'm trying to say are not coming through and mm-hmm. with Malaga Solid Two I'm like blaming it on the uh, or not blaming it or but pointing to the way that an audience refuses to acknowledge this and um for the the final ending being no this is a thing that I made I have to take responsibility for this. Uh, I sh- I, the character shouldn't die the player shouldn't die it is the- I need to accept what I've done and the admit. game itself needs to yeah, go away the game itself needs to go away the work itself needs to say this came from me and be done and end uh, which yeah. and it's it, what is actually surprising is how Peace Walker and 5 especially which I, I do you know the ending of 5 no please don't tell okay, me okay good 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 yep, I just wanted to make sure uh, mm-hmm. but thematically they actually feel like a, a valid continuation they don't invalidate the ending of 4 as much as I thought they would um, because it's weird it, and it's such it's such a final ending that the existence of anything past it uh, really only serves to make it weaker but what they do is interesting uh, the existence of 5's multiplayer mode specifically feels like this handoff boy i've got some i i've actually played a lot of i i i don't okay so iris my roommate has a copy of metal gear solid 5 for the ps3 okay i have resolved to not play the game until i have a ps4 because i would play the game on ps3 it's not like a frame rate thing or whatever i just know that if i buy the game on ps3 and then get a ps4 i'm gonna buy the better version for ps4 Mm -hmm. so i just don't want to spend money twice you know yeah but they have a copy 
she has a copy for uh, PS3, and I've been playing lots of Metal Gear Online, and it is really interesting how that how Metal Gear Online managed Metal Gear Online Three specifically manages to reflect a lot of the series themes, mm-hmm. like just even in the even in the context of pure multiplayer interactions. That's a whole other discussion, though. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, endings and that sort of thing. Oh, the other thing. <sighs> The other thing that Metal Gear Solid 4 ends up being is, like, the most histrionic uh, example of, like, the thing that makes Metal Gear interesting is how much it hates itself. (laughs) And this even goes back to Metal Gear Solid 1. Like, even Metal Gear Solid 1 was a decon piece. You know, Metal Gear Solid 1 was, like, a deconstruction of metal gear 2 which was itself kind of a deconstruction of just you know that kind of action movie type flavor thing metal gear, you know it was it metal was gear less 2, of us metal gear 2 wasn't meant to exist it only existed because someone else was continuing it and betraying the themes of it so because was like okay I've, i'll do it then fine yeah so th- the series entirely after the first game was a, a reluctant affair yeah, and Metal Gear Two has a really dark ending too. Like you kill your fa- well, it, they don't. He's not revealed as your father in that game, not even in the re-releases, which is really weird that they didn't bother to go back and put that in the script. Fun fact: uh, Big Boss being Snake's father is a complete recon, uh, or a re-died. What's retcon. that fucking retcon. retcon? Yeah, it's it's a complete retcon. Uh, it's not in Metal Gear Two at all. But basically, it's like you kill Big Boss, who was your commander, you know, at yeah. one point in time, and you kill your best friend. And a lot of good people die in between. Like, it's I was, a really sad video game. I was shocked when I uh, watched a playthrough because I couldn't. I, I wasn't going to play the whole thing, but I watched. I watched a playthrough of it, and I was shocked how. Oh, this is. Ju- they just did Snake Eater. Snake Eater already existed. It was this. Um, yep, and there's all that formal, you know, all yeah. that formal stuff. The thing about it is that the thing that makes Metal Gear so unique is just how much it hates existing. Um, and the thing about it, though, is that is that that kind of self hatred is 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 part is a big part of what makes it worthwhile alongside its existence. You know, um, uh, it's 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 the thing that makes Metal Gear so valuable, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be so valuable without it. Is that self hatred? And it's like every time Kojima does this the hatred gets worse it gets bitter it gets more bitter it gets more cynical it get it gets more broken and that sort of thing but every time he comes out of it with something even more insightful you know mm-hmm. in that in that sort of thing and that's like and that's why mgs4 is so difficult to talk about it as well because it hates existing so much but it's the most thematically dense and insightful one and it is the one that has the most valid things to say about world politics excluding five which i haven't played i, I wouldn't know uh-huh. you know uh it's just you know it's it's like it's it's the it's the greatest realization of kojima's vision of that series which could only exist if he didn't which could only exist because he hates making them Mm -hmm. you know it's like this really cyclical hateful thing i Um, I don't think metal is as hateful as you uh you do i mean i think that kojima would rather be doing anything else with his time uh and probably feels incredibly free right now um but I will say I really look forward to whatever the fuck he's going to do next because I am dead certain it's not going to be a stealth shooter. I, I can think of anything he would. I can. I can't think of anything he'd rather make less. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like this might actually be the best thing that's ever happened to Hideo Kojima because let's be clear, like Hideo Kojima is like only fifty years old. You know, he's still got at least another good ten, fifteen years of making video games in him. Well, he's and... um unlike a lot of uh game makers from that era. He uh-huh. um, 
his games have been consistently great front like through yes through errors it's um i was going to compare him to like spielberg as a director that uh existed in many many eras but continued to make things that were relevant and uh, like marketable and enjoyable uh it's as opposed to the, someone he, like he, he he made stuff that was like he's just kind of the perfect storm because he keeps making excellent video games that are all very different from each other but share similar strengths I mean, and similar I th- ideas and things like that. But every Metal Gear yeah. game is kind of the same video game, so I wouldn't go that far. But well, but that's the thing is that they're all kind of the same video game, but of course they're all completely different. Yeah, you know, like I mean, Metal Gear Solid Four is unrecognizable put next to Metal Gear Solid One or I- Two or Three. Hmm, mm. I don't know about that, but I can see where you're coming from. I guess yeah. we're already trying. We're already talking about the um, wider context of the series, so let's just move into that. So, Austin, I, now that we've talked about Metal Gear, for a change, <laughs> let's talk about Metal Gear. Let's talk. What do we talk about when we talk about Metal Gear? Let's talk about Metal Gear, baby. Let's talk cool. about. I can't. No, nope, lost it. Time for pun. It's run out. Can't. Can't do it. Can't land it. What a shame. What? <laughs> uh, what is? How did you come to the series? Why? How did you become one of the Metal Gear folk? Oh well, this is super personal i guess um you don't have to if there's anything i'm not comfortable sharing that's fine uh, oh no i'm very comfortable sharing it um metal gear solid one uh was uh, i didn't buy it uh, my brother bought it and uh, the metal gear solid games much like every other series of games i really enjoyed uh were hand-me-downs from him essentially mm-hmm. um uh he left us in 2003 god rest his soul and um but you know so i've always had a personal attachment to it and final fantasy and and a lot of the others like i mean my attachment to kingdom hearts is partially a result of my attachment to final fantasy and i still love the legacy of kane games which he also brought into the house um he brought in metal gear solid one and then actually uh metal gear solid 2 was the first video game i ever bought with my own money i saved up i was making i made 15 dollars a week in allowance this just is, for doing chores around the house. This is the most Austin fact. 
yeah, I made fifteen dollars a week making uh, allowance and doing chores around the house. Metal Gear Solid Two was forty dollars. I saved up forty five dollars and I bought the video game and I think some kind of candy. Nice. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it nice. It's like, damn, I'm buying a video game and I got five bucks left over. It took <laughs> me three weeks. Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid 2 is actually, it's not my favorite video game. It's one of my favorite video games, but um, it's probably the video game that I have played the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably the and definitely one of the, and almost without question, the game I've played the most times to completion. Uh, I it was interested in Metal Gear Solid 3. I, I really loved Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, even though I didn't necessarily have the critical understanding of it at the ripe old age of 11. Um, and then Metal Gear Solid 3 came out, and I was just naturally interested in that, and then I played that. Uh, and I played Metal Gear Solid 4, was the first game I got when I bought a PS3 in 2010. Um, mm-hmm. I loved all of them, pretty much first exposure. There were certain things I liked about 3 less than 2, and I still think that 3 might be my least favorite of them. Why? Although it's still a brilliant video game. Uh, why? Um, uh, just because, and this isn't this isn't the game's fault, but it is the one most often misinterpreted as being like the apology for Metal Gear Solid Two. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like it's actually kind of uh, like a more sober discussion of its political themes, mm-hmm. um, and in many ways still has that kind of deconstructive edge to it. But it's like hidden even deeper beneath a lot of layers, and it's also the one where like the postmodern metatech stuff is like the least important element of it. Uh, it's the one that's like the most straightforward narrative and as a result is probably one of the most mature games of the series despite having um like being the villain's origin it is i think the least cynical game in the metal gear saga oh yeah oh yeah it's the one where uh, where kojima's like you know like hippiness is is on full display Mm -hmm. um because that's what that's what kojima really is he's a huge hippie (laughs) um as many anarchists are and uh um okay so I loved all of the Metal Gear games and then but I the thing was is that Metal Gear Solid 2 was a really despised video game for a long time as a lot of people know and the thing was is I always loved it but I could never quite put my finger on what made it so legitimate because at that point I was still arguing about like what makes a good video game in terms of like well does it have a likable main character which I think that Raiden's a plenty likable main character but I mean you know I can't really argue with anybody who says that he kind of complains a lot mm-hmm. you know of course he complains he's in a shitty situation but I mean that's such a like you can't do game criticism on those terms oh you're saying um, forums are a bad place to do game criticism in like 2004 god I think every <laughs> I think forums were a bad place to do anything in 2004 I um, miss them but you're not wrong <laughs> um in high school, um, well, I, I had always liked stuff that broke the fourth wall, and I had always kind of appreciated Metal Gear's, you know, even before I understood, like, the Meditech stuff, I always appreciated how Metal Gear not only had fourth wall breaks, but it had, like, fourth wall breaks on top of fourth wall breaks, where they'd have the same one between games, like, kept you waiting, ha, huh? and, you know, like, press the action button, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I always thought that was kind of cute, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um and that kind of interest in Metatech stuff led to a years-long obsession with TV tropes. The most important thing I can say about TV tropes is that there is an article specifically about the ending of Metal Gear Solid 2, which links to Driving Off the Map by James Howell, and that is how I first found that article. Um, and then once I read Driving Off the Map and also Monstrous Burst, which I think is just as important but doesn't get as much recognition, um, I read both of those, and my 
I became obsessed again. Like I had already played them tons and tons and tons just because I thought they were, you know, well-designed, interesting video games with good stories, quote unquote. But then after reading Howell's articles, I just dove right back into it. And then I remember one time I actually sent James Howell an email, which he never responded to, which I don't blame him because I think I sent it to a bad email that he doesn't read anymore. I just like, I found all of these examples of the kind of stuff that he could have put in those articles. And I was like, why didn't you put this in? Because it's so good and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I just, I became... I became a fan and a critic and, and reading those articles, I was already interested in starting to write games, criticism and stuff like that. But, um, they had, they really reinvigorated my interest in video games as works of art because, because they demonstrated to me how really good criticism is written. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, my first critical project was an essay about Metal Gear Solid one. That was an attempt blatantly to just steal Howell's style and just like what if Howell had actually done an article about MGS1 and that's what my very first essay is nice not my not my very first but like my first one since like 2013 because I did have a blog back during high school but it got yeah. lost to the annals of time it wasn't very good same thank god <laughs> <laughs> never to be reclaimed we all cut our teeth somewhere I cut oh. my teeth on screw attack nice and I cut my teeth on GameSpot nice yeah i know very cool very cool uh, yeah so just uh and and so i guess the thing with metal gear is that not only do i enjoy it very deeply and not only do i love playing those games and every single time i play any of them i play all of them in order um it's they have a really important place in what i do now because now i'm a full-time freelance video game critic and i would not be a full-time freelance video game critic if it were not for trying to figure out what makes mgs2 so special mm -hmm. you know yeah, I feel like a lot of people, especially in around like our generation of people on Twitter, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is the first thing. I was like, oh, video games, there's stuff here. Yeah. Because um, it's that not like... Final Fantasy. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, it's... How do you put it? There's like a Final Fantasy 7. There's like a Ocarina of Time. There's like a, you know, like a Splinter Cell Chaos Theory or something like that. There's like, you know, there's good video games. There's just good you know, like, you know, oh, well, all this stuff fits together and there's, like, good narrative themes and stuff like that. And then if you got something like Metal Gear Solid 2 or Final Fantasy VIII, you have to work harder to get the juice from the fruit, you know? I, mean, I think know? they're, like, big examples, uh, uh, those two especially, of, like, critical bait video games uh -huh. that we would think of now. Not bait's the wrong term, but, you know, like, if that game came out, there would be the Bioshock Infinite Think Pieces about it for the ne for the next year, you know? Uh, yeah, FF8 would be if FF8 had come out ten years after the fact, people would be like, "This is the most interesting video game ever released." Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing is, is just everybody has like their little pet projects. And my pet project for a long time was I'm going to convince everyone that Final Fantasy VIII is a great video game because I had been watching like Spoonie experiment in high school, and of course he got famous by just trashing the shit out of that. Game. That is the that that is the one FF8 thing I had watched before playing FF8. Yeah, exactly, and it and it just I I still I still hold a lot of resentment towards that guy for 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 souring. Like they've got a bunch of people who've never played FF8, and they go, "Oh, well, isn't this true or whatever?" And I'm like, "There's like, it's not just that his rhetoric sucks and that his technique sucks. There are like multiple straight up factual errors in that video." Mm -hmm. You know, like he says, like, oh, you can never only ever get a weapon shop from a guardian force ability. And I'm like, motherfucker, there's one right there in Balam. Ugh! You know, like just uh, bad, just uh, terrible. It was a combination of Spoonie's awful FF8 review and reading Driving Off the Map. Like, these two extremes of, like, awful criticism and the best criticism that, like, was a really formative experience for me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. 
that summed that summed everything up real nice. I'm trying to think of ways what what else to go into because you've not played. Oh, you've not played. Um, you played Peace Walker. I've played a bit of Peace Walker. Oh. I found its boss designs extremely frustrating, <laughs> and I've bad. never actually, I've never actually beaten the game myself. But I do. I am familiar with its plot. I've watched its cutscenes and all that. And I, I got to the second form of the final boss, then just loaded up the YouTube video and realized yep. there was fifty minutes left because Metal oh Gear. Oh my god! Yep. <laughs> uh, I like uh, Peace Walker quite a bit more than uh, I feel like it. I, I like it more than its reputation would say. Uh, because I feel like it's, it's it's a one of it, it's strange in how it's just no this is just a man in a breakdown and Metal Gear is often about the aftermath of that, but just to see Naked Snake in the middle of like a just having a mental breakdown un incapable of functioning, mm-hmm. is very affecting especially as this is when a lot of bad decisions are made like this man is not in a position to decide whether or not to put a nuke on his base, um, while he's having this uh breakdown over the boss but he does it yeah well yeah because a lot of a lot of the decisions that go on to define his like descent are made in the course of this uh mental trauma uh and it that i like that i like how willing they were to have a character who's often defined by stoicism even though it's critical of stoicism um Mm -hmm. uh to have that character in such a vulnerable place and show how that vulnerability can lead to a bad decisions being made. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. And then, Which functions as part of the critique of stoicism as oh. well, because the reason he's having a breakdown is because he never like took the time to properly mourn. Uh, yep. you know, and he doesn't understand how to do that. Yeah. No, it's definitely a the masculinity cannot emotion properly story. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And then five, I... Uh, <laughs> The problem with Metal Gear games is because they're all about themselves, they're all perfect. Like, like they are, they are the definition of perfect video games because every single bit that's bad about them can be factored into their own meta text. So, Metal Gear Solid Five is a really angry uh, game about games development and uh, the way art is uh, kind of destroyed by markets around it and the way mm-hmm. voices are stamped out and everything, and it has one of the best simulations of a punishing and awful uh, abusive system of capitalism which was then monetized into a genuinely punishing and abusive system of real capitalism on its players by other people so like that's clearly a bad thing that is bad but it's, yeah it's very hard to actually say whether you know to sum them up quantitatively because it's all very reflexive uh, but I like a lot of stuff in five, even though I think it represents uh, something very disappointing. I think the ending is a very good place to leave the series on its mm-hmm. final note. Uh, I like the fact that <laughs> kind of, but like it is the opposite of what everyone described it as. It's not actually the missing link, whatever it is. The it is the most Metal Gear way to do a missing link saga imaginable. <laughs> In terms of what does it like give you a bunch of like disappointing resolutions that kind of make it's you go, n- oh, that's what happened. It's ah. not even about resolutions. It's like, mm-hmm. like the you because know, you know about the FOB stuff, right? The FOB, the FOB mode, the base mode in that game. Uh, I know that there's a base mode. I I just I have managed to somehow all right. avoid well, all of the spoilers. I, I won't I won't go into it. But there, yeah. yeah, the way that mode factors into the themes of the fi- finale of Metal Gear is mm-hmm. uh, very 
very cool. I will say it's extremely weird based on what I've seen that it's like that the final Metal Gear game is essentially a 50-hour JRPG. Like it's uh, I've spent 120 hours in that game. I know it's and and you've you've beaten it though. Yeah, I've not beaten every mission. Oh well, no, no, no. Yeah, I just. Well, how long did the main game take? Well, okay, you? well, so I've seen because I've read. I've read like sixty hours is like <sighs> the main game. There's four different endings. One of them I haven't seen. I've only seen on oh. YouTube. Um, that's uh, different. Oh, you know nothing. <laughs> I know. I muted everything in TweetDeck to avoid spoilers about Metal Gear Solid, uh, spoilers about Metal Gear Solid Five, and also to avoid certain discussions I didn't want to take part in. So I've managed to avoid pretty much everything about that game i did not know that it has four endings that's really weird for a metal gear game um i mean even you'll see uh, <laughs> i'll explain I'll, I'll i'll tell you when you're older <laughs> i gotta say that's the th- the thing that makes it great is that everything everything about metal gear solid 5 makes it sound more exciting you know especially now that i've played a significant portion of the online mode which is just kind of like a taste of how the game functions single player mm-hmm. so yep uh, and yeah, so it's it's a it's a thing. Uh, so I guess we have we had one question from the onlines, mm-hmm. uh, which was let me load this up. Uh, just from I don't know who Sir Laguna is on Twitter, so I guess I'm just going to call you Sir Laguna. Uh, oh, it's that guy. Yes. Oh, cool, Sir Laguna. Yeah, I, I, he he's followed me for a while. He's a good FF8 fan. He likes Laguna, though, so I don't know what's his problem. Laguna is one of the best characters ever. He's the worst. He's so good. He's well, I mean, so he's good. a great... Okay, he's a great character because he sucks. No, nah. He sucks in the exact opposite ways that school sucks. Like, he is an equal and opposite to school. That is... My, this isn't the FF8 podcast. We could have, like, a two-hour discussion on this point alone. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. right. So, question from Sir Laguna. Uh, what do you think about the elite soldiers of Liquid's army being women, frog soldiers, not just BMB? The first thing that's really weird about it, and I think, actually, they are human women. Um, but the thing about it, of course, is that when you kill the frog soldiers, they instantly disintegrate into dust. And I think, actually, they don't count towards your kill count, if I remember correctly. Huh. I don't remember whether that's true or not, so I'm not sure if that means they're cyborgs or something. I forget the exact like lore details about the frogs. Um, we could have another three or four hour discussion about the role of women in Metal Gear. That is a complex thing that I don't like taking part in um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, suffice to say that the Metal Gear games do have a deeply problematic relationship with their portrayals of women. Uh, though I think that per- problematic portrayal of women is uh, often uh, exaggerated as being like all of the women in the Metal Gear games are terrible, which I think is just not true. Um, the gecko, the, not the geckos, frogs. The, the, the frog, the frogs all being girls is a really weird thing. And I think part of the reason they do it is, and this is, problematic is is that when you kill the frogs they have like these weird distorted screams but they come off as like more human as a result of being feminine well, because mm-hmm. you know or at least i feel like that's the intended effect uh, is yeah. to make you feel weird about slaughtering women i feel like you know? that's like the their extension of the beauty and the beast core uh idea which is here is something that we have put as like pure and innocent which is the female body and corrupted yeah, it with femininity. war uh, mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing you should be horrified by which is a, a based on about 70 different like problematic assumptions um 
so I, th- I think it's like super gross uh and is one of my least favorite parts of uh Metal Gear Solid 4 uh yeah the thing is is that the frogs as a as a unit or the are they the frogs or the geckos the geckos are the robots the frogs are oh yeah, yeah. okay so the frogs yeah. they just don't get a lot of development they're nope. just kind of shown up as like oh this is liquid's private army mm-hmm. like not liquid's private army but like liquid's protection core and like they answered liquid directly mm-hmm. and they just they're just kind of there and honestly i feel like it's just you know they're a character design there's there's not a lot to them Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of the very few elements of Metal Gear Solid 4 that I don't think actually adds up to anything at all. Because at least with the Beauty and the Beast Core, they have all of these. They have all of this like meta structure to them that makes them a unique and worthwhile part of the experience. Not to mention their awesome boss fights. Um, the sequences with the frogs do tend to be like good run and gun type sequences, which are completely weird in the context of a stealth game. But they had those kinds of sequences have existed before. But plot wise, I just there's thematically there's there's not a lot to them. Yeah. No, I think the I think the whole the thing between them and being being score just uh, boils down to this uh, notion of just femininity, really basic purity. femininity yeah. kind of yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's that question answered. I have the standard question here, which is uh, what is the best Metal Gear song? Which is an important question to ask anyone. It is the solo piano arrangement of "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday" from Metal Gear Solid Two. Oh, that hmm hmm. That's okay. This is this is a song that I think is heard in the background of a particularly sad cutscene. The version you hear of "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday," which is excellent, that you hear at the end of the game, is a full band arrangement. But um, the solo piano arrangement is one of the very few times that it goes into kind of uh, like almost Uematsu-ish drama in terms of being a solo piano piece that has all of this, that has all of this melodrama and anguish to it. Mm -hmm. It's a very unique piece of Metal Gear music that doesn't fit the mold of a lot of the kind of like synth-driven ambience that kind of defines the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the piece of Metal Gear music that I listen to the most. Although, if you had asked me five or ten years ago, I would have said the Metal Gear Solid 2 theme. Ah. Etc. Etc. Yep, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Interesting. That is an interesting answer. I would not have expected that. I'm not a big fan of "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday." Really? Yeah. Nah. It's my least favorite Metal Gear song. See, this is the other thing. I want to. I want to say this about "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday" as both a music and lyrical piece. It's Snake Eater isn't about anything, like as a song. No, it's a Bond. Not really. Yeah, it's it's just a straight Bond theme. Uh, Love's theme is is great, but it's um, a bit overwrought, and uh, you have to have a translated lyric to to figure it out. Whereas the title of "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday" in MGS2 says everything you need to know, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, it's just kind of it. it just it, it, it like that's the whole theme of Metal Gear Solid 2 is "Can't Say Goodbye to Yesterday." Mm-hmm. You know, and that makes that's that's it's it's like a perfect confluence. It's it is a rare example of non-dissonance in Metal Gear. <laughs> uh, it's weird. You know, we're, it's weird because my favorite the- Metal Gear song, which I think is the best one, is also that, but it's obviously not actually written for a Metal Gear game. Uh, is it nuclear? Yeah. It's the, it's, that song is Metal Gear to, in five minutes. So That song is pretty Metal Gear. I'll also, uh, I think a strong second candidate would be the sometimes forgotten um, um, 
uh, I think, uh, uh, um, shit, what's it called? The Best is Yet to Come. Best is Yet to Come is great as well. I really like that. I'm not really sure how well it actually fits the game in question, but it is a strikingly, shockingly beautiful piece of music. Yeah. I've, I've heard lots of people who like go, oh, my experience with Metal Gear is I bought it because it was this cool thing, and it just begins with this choral arrangement. Uh, in Gaelic, of all things. Ga- yeah. Cause... You know, that's a weird thing. I'm not sure what the deal is. Is, is Metal Gear Solid 2... And three are the only games with themes in English because Metal Gear Solid One's in Gaelic and Metal Gear Solid Four is in Hebrew, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting decision because it's not Japanese either. You know, it's not Japanese, it's not French, it's not any of the languages that like. So it's not Japanese or English, which would be the marketable languages, so to speak. And it's not French. It's not like one of the countries that Japan is known for being like culturally obsessed with. Um, it's Gaelic and Hebrew. You know. Yeah. I, which come off as which come off as particularly weird. I think it's just we wanted a cool sounding song, because uh, I mean I've heard "Best Is Yet to Come" in English. It sounds it sounds fucking terrible. I've heard that that version is horrible. Oh, it's so bad. Actually, I listened to that version. It was really. It's bad. It's embarrassing. I'm like embarrassed mm-hmm. for everyone involved in the decisions that led to this moment. It's so bad. Well, if, like that's because I mean Gaelic doesn't translate to English all that fucking easily, so you can't translate those lyrics all that well. No, I mean this is why this is why when they did Simple and Clean, Yutada Hikaru literally like Simple and Clean is not an English translation of Hikari. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different set of lyrics, and they actually changed around the chords and the melodies of the song to make it fit. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually a complete. It's actually like a completely different song that's just like structurally similar to the same song Hikari by Yutada Hikaru. But the English and Japanese versions of the song are completely different mm-hmm. lyrically and arrangement wise. Yeah. So that's just yeah. I'm not really sure who thought that they could get away with. Probably some idiot at fucking Konami. Yeah. Well, and and then Five has like two different English songs in the game. And then a bunch nuclear, of... and then nuclear is not in the game. Nuclear is not. Oh, it's not. No, I was. This is the thing I was mostly wondering. I was like, "Are you going to play it? Are you going to play it?" No, nope. no, because there's um shit. Uh... Well, it does have the final countdown. I mean, I mean, it obviously has all of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Ground Zeroes and Metal Gear Solid Four have both "Here's to You" in them. Uh, which that is, is true. The unofficial Metal Gear song. Yeah, "Here's to You" has kind of become like one of the unofficial Metal Gear scene songs because it was also featured prominently in Peace Walker. You'll remember. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. do you, <laughs> I assume you know about the ultimate ending of Four that was originally planned, right? Uh, where they get executed? They, yeah, yeah, they just get executed. <laughs> it's a perfect ending, though, right? Like, no, they're war criminals. I mean, yes, but it's so weird when the ending of Metal I, would, Gear, I wouldn't have liked it as an ending. The Metal Gear record. ending I'm of just... Metal Gear Solid sort of Four feels so thematically inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, especially that, that final that the, that it feels so inevitable that the fact that there even is a different ending that they wrote up feels weird and not that it's a different ending but that it's so like unrelated to what actually happened yeah is like what hang on excuse me <laughs> i'm very confused mm-hmm. but yeah i guess that's a podcast okay we did uh, it we were, I, we were... I have been austin c how yes you have you can support uh, you can read my work in a lot of different places. Uh, most recently, you'll find me on Zam.com, where I have uh, where uh, if it if it goes up soon, I'll have just published a good piece on population density in the Japanese role playing game. Nice. And you can support my work at Patreon.com/slash/CriticalSwitch. Cool. Thank you very much, Austin. Oh, and follow me on Twitter at Austin Seahow. Yep. The good tweets on the onlines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. hope you like wrestling because that's all I tweet about. <laughs> it's the Royal Rumble on Sunday. We're gonna have a good time. Royal Rumble. Yeah. The most. Mm-hmm. Ro- have they ever used the phrase "the most royal of rumbles" to advertise it? 
No, and if they're smart, they would say the most regal of rumbles. <laughs> the most regal of rumbles. <laughs> and then they'd put William Regal in it. I'm only going to call it the regal rumble and see how long it takes for people to yell at me. Well, everyone's calling this one the Roman rumble for obvious reasons. Yeah. I mean, wasn't last year the Roman rumble? <sighs> they're all the Roman rumble. <laughs> Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs> Ending this podcast. <laughs>